all of the lyrics were just the F word. And <laughs> that wasn't really what I wanted. Hello and welcome to Double Issue. It is I, your host, Quentin. Why do you sound weird? Just say your name. Oh, I'm Daniel. This is a show where we show you a universe of superheroes. We tell stories set in a superhero universe that we make, and every other week we also just, I don't know, BS around for a bit and find some characters. <laughs> And for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing more of that second thing. Yeah, been a bit lazy. Also, we, we've fixed our feed, but it seems it may have not have fixed any everything. So if you're somehow listening to this and your thing doesn't have old episodes or the new episodes, I don't know how you're listening to this, but <laughs> message us with what platform you're using to access the podcast, and we'll try to get that fixed up. But this week is a story episode. Yeah. This is from the prompt that Beth Lindy gave us. Starship Crash. This is uh, Beth Beth Lindley. I forgot Beth L. Lindley gave us. Yep. It's okay. She's, she's going to be mad, isn't she? You got my name wrong in the first episode, and we've been friends for a long time, so. What? <laughs> I'm really bad with names. Yeah. And saying words. No, nah, I've accepted that about you. <laughs> it's fine. To me, at least. Yeah. Do anything special to get ready for this week's episode? Did I read any comics or anything, Daniel? I don't know if you did or not. Uh. <laughs> I read some Bee and Puppy Cat. I also had a real bad gout attack, so I spent the last weekend or so uh, on the couch watching Sailor Moon. Why Sailor Moon? It's real good. That's why. That was the first anime I ever watched, and I'd like sneak out to the TV room like six in the morning to watch it, and now going back, I was like, this is actually good. I don't know why people made fun of me for this. Those people are wrong. So, we both saw Solo. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think Solo's great. Hold it right there. We're going to talk about this on a different podcast. Yeah, with Ian R. Butt. He was on our Swords episode. And you can go check out our show with him, or his show with us, <laughs> on it, reviewing Solo on i believe it's called second opinion reviews yeah we'll have a link to that as soon as we come as soon as it's available it should be up uh, a couple days after this episode comes up so is it my story first this time yeah i think so let's go origins by quentin a pongratz before it was called Earth, before people walked its lands, before any creature stirred on the surface, a spaceship crashed. The silver vessel streaked orange through the sky and landed with a plop and a hiss into the water. It sank until its downward velocity ran out, then it bobbed to the surface. The spaceship remained dormant for some time, drifting on the waves. Was it waiting for land? Was it taking measurement of the atmosphere? 
No one was around to ask those questions, and no answers came from inside. Finally, the spaceship sounded a metallic clink, followed by a hiss as air rushed both in and out of the ship. Seconds pass. The click sounded again. Minutes pass. A knocking and then a banging from the inside. The craft swayed back and forth on the waves before it flipped. The banging continued as bubbles surrounded the silver. Then, the craft sank beneath the waves. The banging stopped before it reached the bottom. Hours pass. Days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries. Time flies when there's no one to pass it. Whatever was inside separates from itself. It decomposes down as far as it can, but it doesn't disperse. The waves flow around it, but the particles that once were this thing stick together in a sort of underwater cloud of death. Eventually, life happens. Not to this once dead thing, but elsewhere. Life starts and spreads. The water becomes a home with this spaceship its neighbor. The spaceship and its sticky dead particles remained at the bottom of this now life-filled ocean, alone and undisturbed, but not forever. Eventually, the living reached them. To say that the microscopic creatures were afraid of this foreign object would be wrong. But there was something in their biology, somewhere, that told them not to approach. For generations upon generations, nothing would mingle with the visitors' remains. If this behavior had continued for eternity, the dead molecules would have remained just that. Dead, inert, stuck. But they didn't. Whether you anthropomorphize the creature with bravery, or call it a genetic mutation where it didn't have this aversion to the spaceship and its once inhabitant, or perhaps even still, it was a slipstream of water that the creature couldn't get away from. Whatever the case, a living being found itself inside of the dead one. Then, they were no longer two beings. They were no longer dead, and no longer alive. They were both. They, the new it, continued to do what the loose conglomeration of death had done for so long before. It waited. Yet it did so with one difference from before. It sensed. It could sense and think. It felt apart from the water, but still, it was the water. It drew into itself. The molecules contracted and it forced the water from it. This was actually it. This small ball of mass separate from everything else. But it didn't like that. It wanted to feel the water again. It wanted to feel with the water again. It let itself spread as far as it could, and it felt great. It could cover an area no bigger than the spaceship, but it experienced something akin to happiness. It experienced satisfaction, fullness. This process of self-exploration had taken some time, and life was more complex. The smaller organisms continued to keep their distance from it. Whenever it would expand or contract, they would somehow know and retreat or advance accordingly. That's when something bigger approached, a fish. It likewise kept its distance, but the being could sense something different about it. It could sense the fish's curiosity. The fish would approach and back away with a different tempo and awareness than the other creatures around. So the being contracted into the ball it hated being and waited. The fish gave it some room, but after some time, it closed the distance. The being expanded. The fish was inside of it. The fish was it. It was the fish. It consumed the fish. The being knew about breathing and swimming and parts of the water it had never been able to see. The being expanded. It was larger now. It could go farther now. It could feel all the water between itself and it was all the water between itself. It felt better than it had when it expanded previously. 
Where once it was content, it knew it could no longer be content with just waiting. For if this amount of area felt better than before, imagine reaching to the places that it had only seen with the fish's memories. More time passed. It waited for more fish to approach, but none came as close as the one had before. So it took to contracting itself and expanding to see if it could elicit the same feelings as when it had first expanded. It didn't, but it did learn more about itself. When it contracted, it didn't have to become that ball. It could control its contractions. It remembered the shape of the fish, and it could become that shape. It remembered how the fish moved, and it could twist and turn its shape to do the same. It was no longer bound to the area in which it had arrived. It could move away. It set out to find more fish. It found them. It consumed them. It grew. It grew and grew, and every time it expanded, it felt better and better. Then it hit the walls. It expanded to a point where it could no longer expand. It was the water. It felt everything inside of it. It was everything inside of it. All of the microscopic pieces that avoided it were now it. That's when it learned it had needlessly consumed all of the fish. There was some in-between that was both a part of it and apart from it. All of these small beings in the water existed in both states. But unlike the fish, they still existed. The being experienced something most would describe as sadness, but was more accurately an emptiness. It was the water, it was everything in the water, but everything in the water was so much less than what it could have been. It waited in that emptiness. It experienced being a whole. It felt the sunlight on its surface. It felt the coolness of its cage. It felt the vibration of something new. A creature jumped in. It kicked its legs and propelled itself through the being. The being that was the water did not consume it, but became it nonetheless. Out of itself, it created more of this new creature. And with its newfound legs, it left itself. Time passed. It journeyed outside of its cage and experienced the world. It saw that its cage was so much smaller than it felt. There were bigger places and bigger creatures too. It wanted to be all of those. While part of its split-screen consciousness explored new things, the rest of it probed at its cage, eventually finding that it wasn't a cage. It was just another boundary to be overcome. It seeped through the walls and became one with the ground. It fed itself to the vegetation nearby and became those two. Powered by the visions of its other self, it crafted what was once this small body of water into a humid biome of being. It created life like the other had seen. Small flying creatures to stalk the trees it had become. Buzzing creatures that skimmed its own surface and fed the jumping bits of itself. It became its own cycle of life slowly creeping outward. In time, the frog returned to itself. Their split memories became one. It experienced jealousy against itself from both sides simultaneously. The frog was jealous of how the swamp had expanded, and the swamp was jealous of how the frog had seen and done so much in its time away. The end result was the same for both, now one. They needed more. They needed more expansion through the land and waters. They needed more of this world to be theirs. They needed a larger form to compete with those on the outside. The swamp sits as silent as a swamp can sit. It bubbles and gurgles. The insects nearby never cease their cries. Birds in the trees sound with regular regularity. How much of this biome is this one being? How much is separate but still a part of it? How much is completely foreign, not yet assimilated? Perhaps even the being does not know at this point. A frog jumps out of the murky water and onto the land. A second follows. Soon, too many bound from the swamp. They converge on a planned spot near a fallen tree. 
They pile on one another and writhe and croak as more and more join the fray. The shape of a human body starts to emerge. The frogs begin to melt into one another. Their dividing lines divide them no longer until eventually they are all one again. A new one, a one seen before on its long frog journey about in this world. Now it pushes itself off the ground with its newly created limbs. It stumbles. It didn't absorb one of this kind, it only recreated this body from its own memories. So the control isn't what it could be. It pushes up again and stands for a second before losing balance and falling. It picks itself off the ground and braces against the fallen tree. It tries to take a step and starts to stumble, but instead catches itself by forming a new leg underneath it. It does this for some distance before it fully falls again. Instead of picking itself up from the ground, frogs leap upward from the fallen body forming a new torso and head as they re-emerge into themselves in the air. It continues in this way for some time before it actually starts to get the hang of this walking thing. It would be even more time before it would look like it knew how to walk to others. But no amount of perfection in the walk would disguise its true nature from the humans it would soon meet. They were more concerned with the looks of the being, and they would scream before it silenced them and absorbed them. And only then did it learn how it would fit in with them, by sticking to the shadows. The End Is this a Norman Moss origin story? It is. Yeah. I almost called it that. (laughs) (laughs) On the origin of Moss. (laughs) But I didn't want to give it away right away, just in case it fooled anyone for a second. (laughs) It was fun to write a story about what we just talked about in the show. Yeah. Which you had done before. There was a week we did a story world building episode. And like the very next week I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Yeah. It might have been resolutions. I think so. Because I wrote the first part of the story with no, without the element that you used to conclude the story with. And that was created yeah. in between. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Do you have any special idea or central thesis that helped with the story? No. It was, it kind of just came, this sounds very pretentious, the story just came to me. Uh, it was one of those ones like the hotel one that I just had a bunch of images and I think it might work better as an actual comic of just watching this happen instead of me describing it. Yeah. Cause it was a challenge to describe some of the stuff, but I hope I got through that. <laughs> Especially the end where he's trying to walk or it's trying to walk and is kind of like forming new legs as it's falling forward. Yeah, that was icky. And then just falling over it. and reforming from the <laughs> the puddle. <laughs> I like the concept that he was mimicking legs, but since he wasn't born with, or since they weren't born with him, they kind of had to make it up as they went along. Yeah, and I don't know what it was that crashed there. <laughs> yeah, because he wasn't necessarily... The original yeah, this, thing on the ship. This was some new thing born out of the remains of whatever crashed here. See, that could be fun, because then there could be a exploration of what's on the ship. Yeah. I'm also okay with... like I, I like to leave things open, so 
they could be filled in later. It could always be mysterious what that was. I really like the part where the fish is investigating and just like coming up and looking at it, mm-hmm. but not getting too close. I was like, that's pretty excellent. The fish going to get got. Uh, the frog body is icky. Yeah, thank you. So, so thanks for that imagery. Well, it spawned out of all of this grossness of the monster crew <laughs> episode. Yeah. If you got to heal Norman Moss, you just stick some frogs on him. But the uh, the start of the story with the spaceship going into the water, yeah, it reminded me of a book I read in junior high that was about Pearl Harbor. And one of just, like, there was just one of those intense reading moments where I was sitting in class for a free reading day. I was reading this book, and it's describing the crews going out to, like, save people on the ships. Mm-hmm. And they could hear people banging on the bottom of the ship because all the, they'd lost all power and the ships had capsized. But if they cut a hole in the ship, it would have drowned everybody on the ship or something. So they couldn't cut a hole in the ship. And so they just had to like listen to people banging in the bottom. Mm. And I was just, this is, this is really intense for like eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. I guess we didn't have a lot to talk about about my story. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of there. Yeah. Like. It doesn't add all a lot. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I mean, with the spaceship being a mystery and we kind of get more about Norman Moss for Monster Crew. I don't know. It's good. It's kind of self-contained. Yeah. Now, an ad break. That's my brother, Mason, the winner, Williams. And that's my brother, Luke Isosceles Triangle Williams. We're both brothers. And inventors. And geniuses. Every Thursday... <laughs> wow, that's generous. Every Thursday, we invent something brand new before your ears. So check out Hey, I've Got an Idea Show wherever you get your podcasts or at HIGAIShow.com. Hooray! We did it. Advertisement done. I already cut out that bit you did of a joke, but now that we're back from an am. It was a really funny joke, so that's really the audience's loss, but it was really funny, yeah. and everyone laughed. The exact time that the ad was playing, Daniel said a joke. It's okay that you guys missed it. That's correct. But you're not going to miss his story. My story. Sorry, that was weird. <laughs> I'll just do it normal. All right. Here's my story. Breaking Out by Daniel J. Poole. Hole is critically damaged and structural failure is imminent, said Sharon. If you care about that sort of thing, Rufus slammed his fist on the controls. Yes, we all prefer living. Thank you very much. Ah, uh, no offense. Sharon rolled his eyes and pointed to a glass column at the rear of the cockpit. The worst way to make a jump is to use the navigation chamber. Hey, cat, dear, would you mind hopping on that? She was already climbing into the column. Two heavy explosions shook the hole. Report, the ship's AI stated. Two craft are in pursuit. They are firing on us. But how are you doing? Rufus asked. Peachy, systems failing, crash imminent. Just what I needed, a sarcastic spaceship. The computer cleared a throat it didn't have. And said... Well, being hijacked isn't exactly my idea of a perfect Sunday. I was fine back at headquarters, but no. Someone had to steal me and take a joyride. Sharon nodded in agreement. 
They're right, you know. We had it made. Before the heist, that is. What would you two know? Rufus said, trying to... Rufus said, trying several different switches on the control station. Penny had her spike-toed boots kicked up on the communications console. Well, I know that I was a certified pilot. Rufus shook his head. She made a gesture from herself to the captain's chair. Want me to take over for a minute? Whatever. I'll check on Josie and Dwayne. Rufus handed the wheel over to Penny. She took a wad of gum out of her mouth and stuck it under the console. After flipping a couple of switches, the ship lurched forward. She smiled and called after him. You had the parking brake on! He punched a wall on his way off the bridge. Taking a few quick turns, he started to jump up some stairs. Josie blocked the entire corridor. She was carrying a pair of heavy barrels. She tried to go one way, but Rufus tried to go that way at the same moment. He tried to correct himself out of her way, but she did as well. Finally, he backed completely off the stairwell. She said, Sorry, Captain. I've got to get these down to engine room two. Are those ion cores? The bulky woman sheepishly tried to hide them behind her back. No? Where did you get those? We weren't even using the mega cannon, and we need to boost for making the hyperspace jump. He held a stern finger up. Absolutely not. If you miscalculate the power, it'll blow us all up. The ship's computer droned. Critical failures detected. Dex 2 through 6. Total destruction in 10 minutes. Radiation leaks detected. Everywhere? I guess. Josie squinted. Rufus cussed, and then said, Fine, but only because we're in mortal danger. She smirked and started to jog to the turbo lift. She said, Yes, Captain. As it descended to her floor, Dwayne jumped off. She cleared her throat. He rushed back and jumped to give her a kiss on the cheek. Pushing his glasses up, he ran past Rufus on the stairs. The captain caught him by the collar and held him off the ground. Dwayne? Ah, uh, yes, captain? Why aren't you at your post? Dwayne's eyes darted back and forth under his thick lenses. He replied, Josie wanted help with the engine upgrade, so I reprogrammed some of the sparring droids to fire the turbo blasters while I ran up there. Ship shook. Two more explosions rocked it. Rufus dropped him. He said, And it sounds like they're doing a bang-up job. Was that sarcasm? I can't tell. Come on, Rufus said, grabbing Dwayne's ear. The captain raced up to the blaster ray. Two androids were fumbling with the controls of an artillery cannon. They were trying to use the same station at the same time. Rufus shoved both out of the way. A screen over the handle showed two small frigates pursuing them. Concentrating with one eye closed, the captain fired off two perfect shots. The ships disintegrated into clouds of glowing atmosphere. Rufus stood up and gestured to the console. All yours. Captain, we're all set for a jump. You might want to strap in. Penny's voice said over the loudspeaker. Copy that. I'll be right. The bottom of the world fell out from underneath Rufus and Dwayne. Each could taste their own screams. The walls bled colors they didn't know existed. Each second quivered shorter and longer with an uneven rhythm. The smell of copper washed over them. On the edge of passing out, the colors of the walls dulled to their normal gray. The usual smells of spent plasma canisters and oil returned. Dwayne and Rufus held each other screaming. Both stopped to look around the room before they moved apart. Hmm. Yes, well, sorry, Dwayne. My bad, Rufus. 
the captain said. Penny? Yes, sir? She responded over the PA. Did you let Cat make the hyperjump just now? Yeah, just like you asked. Oh, wait. Were you in a jump cradle? Oh, I am so sorry. I didn't even wait for you. That must have felt weird. He shook his head. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm pretty sure I got some dark matter stuck in my teeth. A cheery tone played over the intercom. The ship's computer said, There are multiple power failures, severe structural damage, and we just used all of our remaining fuel. Dwayne nodded. That doesn't sound so bad. Could have been worse, right? Penny chimed in on the intercom. Uh, Rufus, you better get down here. We have a problem. Rufus bit his lip. He said, You just had to jinx it? The captain took off at a run. He stopped at the top of the stairs. No pawning your job off on the androids. Watch our tail. He slid down the banister past Josie. Hey, Captain, are we going to crash? She asked. I don't want to crash. I don't know. Did you overload the engines? She didn't answer. Rufus ran back to the bridge. Warning lights and klaxons guided him. Sharon looked up dryly from a console. They said, Oh, look out, everyone. Officer on deck. Where are we? Water rushed past the bridge's windshield. Cat stepped out from the navigation column. Her familiar, a cat-sized two-headed dragon, crawled up her robes to sit on her shoulder. It's still Earth, just not ours. It's a completely different dimension outside of ours, at the furthest edge of the reality spiral as we can be. The captain stared at her with a blank expression. This planet should be as far away from Aegis as we can get. He acknowledged that with a nod. Penny sat forward in her chair. She craned her head, scanning the viewports. I can't tell which way is up. Flipping a few switches, lights clicked on in front of the vessel. The ship traveled through a red cave. Ahead, a speck of light flickered. Sharon said, I've recalibrated the compass and altitude indicator. That can't be right, she said, tapping at the instruments. This cave is moving. A pink stalactite appeared out of the darkness. Penny swerved to miss it, but was too slow. The structure hit the ship and dragged across the surface. What the? The mouth of the cave began to fall with a set of jagged rocks. Faster. We need to go faster. The cave is collapsing. I don't think this is a cave, Captain. Rufus gulped and took a seat. He strapped himself in. <clears throat> hey, Dwayne. There was a pause. Dwayne? Uh, yes, sir? Uh, yes? Uh, er, uh, sir? Dwayne. Fire off some rounds with the turbo blasters. There was a pause. Uh, what? The darkness, just, just anything. Plasma bolts vaporized sections of the cave. Explosions rocked the ship back and forth. The mouth of the cave retched open. A sudden rush of water pushed the ship out of the tunnel. Dwayne said, Captain, this wasn't a cave at all. That's a leviathan! Yeah, we, we put the monster part together. I've never seen one in the wild. It's really impressive how big it is. Rufus cut him off. What is it doing? Oh, 
Right, chasing us. Captain leaned over to Penny. She said, Yeah, yeah, I'm on it. Teeth snapped the ship as afterburners ignited. Sudden force tossed the crew. Penny pulled the yoke back to herself. The nose tilted toward a dull yellow light. It grew brighter until the ship broke the surface of a lake. Waves rushed out from behind them. Right on their tail, the Leviathan jumped after them. Its jaws snapped off a chunk of the rear thruster. Glaring red lights flashed on the bridge. Rufus asked, We need to set down. Is this planet inhabited besides that beast? Cat shook her head. This should be a dead world. As Penny leveled the ship out, a walled city stretched out in front of them. In the center stood a dark tower. What was that about this being a dead world? Cat said. No, I was told we'd be safe from Aegis here. Penny nodded at the tower. Then why is there a citadel? I don't... I don't understand. We need to contact my mentor. He gave me the coordinates. A voice over the communicator. Uh, unknown flying castle? Whatever you are, this is Citadel Command. Identify yourself or be destroyed. Rufus smacked the arm of his chair. We didn't steal one of the most powerful interdimensional starships just to give it up now. Penny glanced over him. She said, Comms are still on, sir. The voice in the communicator said, Oh, so you all are criminals. Cool. Makes my job easy. From the tower, two shapes took off. Rufus squinted. He said, Are those missiles? Prepare for impact. Sharon said, They are humanoid. Damn, Aegis monsters. Sharon shrugged and went back to his consoles. Rufus threw his hands up in the air. He said, Okay, shoot, think, think. He snapped his fingers. Josie, did your engine mod work? He was answered by a few seconds of kissing sounds. She replied, Oh, Captain, uh, the mod, right. Captain snarled. Are you making out with Dwayne while we are impending doom? Uh, no. She replied, There's going to be a team meeting about this after we crash. Yes, sir. Uh, oh, but we about fried the engine in the last jump. We, we could tear reality apart. Could it make the small leap? Jessica's physically out of here. Josie paused on the other end. Yes, but there'll be grave consequences to the fabric of reality. Rufus waved his hand. Yeah, yeah. Penny, prep for another jump. Aye, aye. Cat, set course. Perfectly somewhere soft. She jumped back into the navigation column. She said, There's a desert on the other end of this continent. Rufus replied, Perfect. The engines hummed, every surface rattled, the lights dimmed, sounds began to melt into color, time wobbled and folded into itself. The engines whirled down, there was a loud popping sound. The bridge shook. Sharon raised his hand. He said, Hold on, that happens. The ancient man rose and walked over to a pillar on the side of the room. He kicked it, and as he did, the lights dimmed and the engine whirled back to a fever pitch. The ship threw itself forward with a sudden jolt. A man in full medieval knight armor crashed against the windshield and slid over the top of the ship. The crew recoiled. Whoa, did you? Rufus started to say. 
His words became the taste of touching a rose's thorn. The color of a Monday flushed the bridge before clearing out. See that? He spat out the taste of his words. <laughs> they arrived 2,000 miles in the late afternoon, below a brilliant blue sky for miles of arid desert. Every system cut out. Every light went dark. For a moment, the entire ship hung in the air. The blue slipped from view. They could only see sand and rocks. Penny pulled back the yoke. Heavy creaking noises answered her attempt. She strained and gritted her teeth. Rufus unbuckled his safety harness. He gently kicked off his chair and flew to her side. Helping her, they pulled together. Cat joined them. Between the three of them, the nose of the ship ticked up slightly in time to strike a sand dune. Rufus and Cat sailed together toward the windshield. She recited a fast spell to cushion their fall. The ship struck the ground, only to bounce back into the air. It floated in the air for a moment before crashing to a sand dune. The ship buried itself underground and came to a stop. Ugh, ow. Is everyone okay? Rufus asked. The ship replied, I am completely inoperable. Noted. Anyone else? Cat coughed. <laughs> You're standing on me. Right. The captain shuffled off of her. He ran over to check on Penny. Her eyes were wide, and her hands were still digging into the yoke that was completely detached from the ship. Josie and Dwayne walked into the bridge. Josie asked, Any survivors? The others nodded. Sharon dusted himself off. He said, Right, where were we before you stole us? Let's see. He pulled out a tablet. Checking it over, he asked, Just one last question. What designation do you want for the ship? Uh... Captain? He looked around. What's the current designation? Ah, Grand Calamity, sir. Rufus looked around the dark control room. Sand trickled through a bulkhead. His crew were bleeding and covered in bruises. A console sparked. It caught fire. Yeah, just leave it at that. It seems fitting. The End For now. And scene. That's a lot of characters. That's a lot. And that's a lot for, like, voicing. <laughs> I need to stop writing stories with so many characters because there's just a lot but welcome the grand calamity super force my dollar store power rangers gcsf it's gonna be a thing hashtag gcff oh yeah did that guy ever make that song yeah are you putting it in your thing no oh. <laughs> i got a song commissioned for the grand calamity super force by my good old friend billy mercer from high school and he wrote a theme song for the grand calamity super force and then just some fighting music. But our schedules didn't quite line up for us to record it. So hopefully by the next time they show back up in fiction, we'll have that. All right. So the Grand Calamity Superforce has one, two, three, four, five sentinels, which make up the team. And they're Rufus, the leader. Do they have colors? They do. Oh, okay. Since I had this many characters to bring in and so many like new pronouns or like, nouns i was like 
I will wait to do their armor colors and their Megazord things later. Uh, Penny is the Blue Ranger, and she's kind of a foil to Rufus's, like, follow the rules and commands. She's kind of the punk rocker of the group. Josie's the Yellow, and she's the big, tough muscles. Dwayne is the smart Green Ranger. Cat is the um, heart of the group, and she's like a witch and does like magic things. Each one has their own like special power up weapon. So Rufus is sword, Penny, or Rufus is a rifle, Root Penny is a sword, Josie is rocket fist, Dwayne is a boomerang, and then Cat has like a staff. But all of that, for your information, if you ever want to use these guys, is in a file on the drive. Do you talk about Charon? Charon? I don't know. I don't know how to say his name. And I didn't think about that till I was reading it. What did you say in the reading? I think it's... I think I said Charon. And Charon is going to be our alpha stand-in. But in this, he is an undead, like, magically, technologically kept alive caretaker of the ship mm. and then their ship who's a sort of sarcastic british voiced robot that lives inside the space or the ship computer oh man you did a british voice a little bit not not much i try to really rein it in i hope we're going to crash pip pip cheerio we're all going to die bullocks that means the buttocks sort of I think it means balls yeah no i think it means balls a term Americans mistakenly use when they mean to say bollocks. <laughs> Which one's that? Bullocks. Bollocks oh. are testicles. Ah, <laughs> uh, there it is. So what's, what's it kept alive by? A, a mix of magic and technology. So he's sort of a zombie, sort of an android. You haven't, like, there's not a thing behind that yet. It's just is right now. Yeah. That's my next story is the origin of this guy. I'm just going to keep doing very old origin stories that don't add much to the canon. <laughs> I liked Zordon's background from Power Rangers where he was a Power Ranger. And there was a lot of uh, back and forth with him and the villains before he becomes a guy in a tube. Hmm. So I was kind of playing off that idea as far as maybe he's an old sentinel and they just make him the caretaker so he can kind of offer advice every now and then or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, each of them has a giant robot that's attached to the outside of the flying castle thing that they're in, and they're all dragon-themed, and they come from an alternate Earth, where Aegis is bad. That's impossible. Aegis has to be is good it? in every universe. What are you telling me? I'm telling you the word is a lie. Well, the world, sorry. <laughs> the world is a lie. So do you know more about this yeah. alternate Earth or universe? Uh, I know little bits and pieces. I've got some story ideas that would like lead up to the heist, and my thought was each of the characters represents like a different branch of their armed forces. So like Rufus is from like a family of like thousands of Red Rangers, basically, mm. and they'd be used for like a certain job in their military. So they're not a unique type of team. This yeah, is just like the blend. And my thought for their backstory is these four characters. Rufus Penny, Josie Dwayne are like rejects and they're going to be like liquidated from their family units because they've all failed to fit into the mold that they need to for their units. And they were like, liquidate this. 
but Kat needs the Grand Calamity spaceship, so she helps them break out. So she's not a reject. No. I think the purple squad is like a super specialized, super advanced legion, and they usually are like the leaders of groups, but she's oh. even more schemy so than So if them. they're the leaders, they like are like the king of the group. They kind of reign over everyone in their sort of purple reign. Purple reign? Purple reign? Yeah, okay. no. Uh, so like Rufus, he's supposed to be like a foot soldier and supposed to just follow orders, but he's too headstrong and too much of a leader. And Penny's supposed to be like the special ops assassin, but she just likes to rush into fights and not like worry about stealth. Josie's supposed to be like tiny and petite, but she's all physically big. So stuff like that. Okay. Oh, and this is a fun thing. So I wanted to set them in Southern California originally, because I think that's kind of where they set the American Power Rangers. Oh, I, think. I believe it's Angel Grove, actually. Yeah. Isn't Angel Grove like a Southern California city? Well, like ish? Maybe it's in New Mexico. Well, in this <laughs> one, I forget what I was doing. Oh, I wrote out the end like they were. 2,500 miles away. I was like, that's really wordy. What if I just said 2,000? What's 2,000 miles away from the Great Lakes? And that's when I realized that there is um, like Sandy Dune area in Nevada. Mm. I was like, oh, well, that'd be a good like crash site, like where it's soft. The exact spot on the map that I just chose at random in the desert to be the spot where they crash land is called the Extraterrestrial Highway. <laughs> so I thought that was really good. Yeah. But spoilers for their next immediate action they're like we need to fit in with this world and learn all we can about aegis we're gonna go to high school not if i get to him first uh, don't murder them all two weeks from now daniel turns out they all died <laughs> blank slate am i right whoopsie doodle <laughs> no <laughs> then five teens find their suits <laughs> and ship is like well, i bring you all together <laughs> that seems fine i did have one more thing that i just think's fun okay. grand calamity is basically everything i've ever stolen from every story and like movie and book i like yeah so i set the story up to be a ripoff of the opening of the firefly movie hmm. uh there's a scene in there that rips off the empire strikes back the firefly movie you mean serenity <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can never remember if firefly is the show or serenity is the show or vice versa so i'm just trying to rip off as many things that i like as possible so power rangers firefly star wars uh their suits whenever we finally get to their suits are gonna rip off the giver because it's like a weird fleshy thing that comes out of their skin i'm just i'm trying to hit every major cultural touch point that uh i've been inspired by yeah i do that a lot too yeah. like the which one was it birthdays like i kind of rip off or i try to emulate <laughs> like a douglas <laughs> adams type voice for it i could see that 
That's my brother, Mason, the winner, Williams. And that's my brother, Luke Isosceles Triangle Williams. We're both brothers. And inventors. And geniuses. Every Thursday, <laughs> wow, that's generous. Every Thursday, we invent something brand new before your ears. So check out Hey, I've Got an Idea Show wherever you get your podcasts or at HIGAIShow.com. Hooray! We did it. Advertisement done. I feel like our conversation was lacking this time, and I feel like that's my bad. It's cool. I feel like I have more. F- We're out of I practice. Have more for a bonus episode this time than a regular episode. You could do a whole bonus episode, probably. That does remind me that just in general, this week I'd like to plug Terminally Nerdy because he's a Patreon D and D guy, and he does review videos and blogs and whatnot. But he seems really cool. Okay. Cool. Do you got somebody you want to... I want to suggest people go check out a podcast called The Bargain Den. It's a friend from work. Started a podcast with his wife. And they they go get the cheapest movies they can. Like, usually going, like, getting a grab bag or uh, go to Walmart and just dig straight down into the the movie bin. Just pick up a random movie and watch that. And then they they don't... They kind of review it, but it's they review it on its frugality, which I thought was Uh-oh. a pretty good a good twist on the movie review type formula. They talk about the characters and whether they think they were they were frugal or not. <laughs> that sounds really great. Pretty good. I I need to ask him because I I was at Walmart the other day and I just dug down. I was like, I wonder what movie I'd get. And it was a collection of like 10 movies or something. <laughs> I need to ask oh. him if, if he would watch all 10 movies, if he's bound by the rules of the show to watch all 10 movies. And also, are those movies extra frugal because they were like one-tenth the price of any other movie in there? But see, then is each movie protagonist frugal? Well, yeah, that's got to be a by different themselves? judging thing. But Okay. But the movie itself is the cheapest ever. <laughs> That's really yeah. excellent. This is pretty good. I've been enjoying it. Cool. Well, in that case, follow me for more of my content at Gware on Twitter and a lot of other places online. Yeah. And I'm at Quentin Pongrats. Yeah. Our show art is by Lisa Prather. And you can find her on her website or on Tumblr, lisapratherart.com. It's her Instagram. I think she's on Tumblr too, but I don't know if she got a big oh. presence there or if she just browses. That's basically me on Tumblr right now. I used to keep up with it, but yeah, I don't, I don't really use Tumblr. I have before and just kind of looked around, uh, but uh, I often see those Tumblr, Tumblr threads shared on Facebook by different people. Oh, and I, yeah. every single time. The image should have cut off a response or two earlier. Every I know on Tumblr you can keep the joke going for however long, but for the conciseness of the joke on the image format of this, where you're just taking it and posting it elsewhere, I always feel like it should have ended one or two comments earlier. There's always like one strike. True. There's always one person that's like, yeah. That's how I feel about Reddit jokes, because there'll be like six good replies in a row, and then one person like. I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Explain the joke to me. It's like, you ruined it. You ruined it. 
XX Skater Boy XX. Or someone, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Just cut it off at, before that one. <laughs> we don't need that guy saying, yeah, keep going. I love and fully support a lot of the jokes I see coming from Twitter, from Tumblr, though. Like, especially the Harry Potter ones. But when I've gone out to use Tumblr, I can't find that good, good content. So I'm glad that people post screen caps to Facebook for me to enjoy with my old man social media. Yeah. Yeah. You can find us on Tumblr at Double Issue Show. We're also on email, Twitter, website, WordPress, Facebook, Discord. Check out the Discord. We got a link to it. It's fun. Every- Come join us in the Sendel Command. Everyone's talking in here. The last few responses are me posting a link, Daniel posting a link, and me saying, don't come in here. Ignore that one. Do come in here. I think as we add more guests, we'll just stealthily layer up how many people are in that Discord channel. But yeah, you can find us somewhere. If you enjoyed us, uh, leave a review or share it with your friends or do both. It's always fun to have new people. Yeah. Use our hashtag, hashtag double issue. And we might use your name as a character we'll on the show. Just tweet at us. Say, at Double Issue Show. Use my name. It's just tweet. Just tweet in general at us. We we like friends. But if I'm not feeling it, I might say, I don't give in to demands. <laughs> we don't negotiate I'm, with Twitter I'm never terrorists. using a single name with any of the letters of your name in it. Our next week world-building episode is the Citadel. Yep. It might be a long one. It might be a short one. We yeah, talked for three hours. That one's... Who knows how much of that was on topic. <laughs> okay. Did we say goodbye? I don't think so. Goodbye. Let's say the thing we say at the end of every episode. Daniel, read those song credits. All right. I got the song credits. Our theme song was Free Harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Then songs for the stories. We're Full of Stars by Philip Ouija. Evo by Mons Plaisir. Seasick Garden by Yan Terrian. Ultra Metal by Loyalty Free Music. The True Last Boss by Komiku. Perfect One by Man Bites Dog. Songs and sound effects were used under Creative Commons licenses. They were shortened and edited as needed. Also, all the links to all our sound effects and all our songs, along with their licensure information, is in the description below. Kate, we said hi on the podcast. Remember this moment where I spammed a bunch of Oceana Broswo? And you said, what's up? That's now, right now. What? She said she doesn't listen to the podcast, right? <laughs> um, I told her she should be a guest on the show, and she said she'd have to listen to all the episodes. I told her she really didn't have to. Like, no, I'd rather listen to the episodes before I come on. And just never does. Pretty much. <laughs> you don't have to. I'd rather listen to them first. <laughs> she just doesn't. <laughs>